Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of Frontburner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is from a video of a child in China. He's singing into the camera, and it sounds kind of sweet if you don't know what he's saying. But if you translate the lyrics, they're actually pretty jarring. He says, if you have a second child, you violate the law. Think twice and don't say I didn't warn you. This is just one example of the propaganda that the Chinese government used to promote the one-child policy, which was in place between 1980 and 2015. The message, have fewer children in service of the nation, was everywhere. On TV, in theater performances, on posters with slogans like, having only one child is good, accompanied by a picture of a smiling parent and their child. It all sounds very different from the approach that the Chinese Communist Party is taking to family planning today. The Chinese government has announced that married couples may now have up to three children. A change in policy following decades of restrictions that have resulted in rapidly aging society. Beijing is currently mulling over incentives such as tax breaks and other benefits to encourage childbirth. Some provincial governments have set population targets, pledging to push families to procreate. But it's a controversial strategy. For the first time in six decades, the population of China is shrinking. Last year, more people died than were born. And demographers say that that's bad news. The government's been trying for a while to change course and encourage people to have more kids. Like this week, it announced plans to make fertility treatments like IVF free for citizens under its national insurance plan to help ease the financial burden for people who are trying to conceive. But their initiatives haven't really worked. And more and more people, women especially, are resisting the idea of having more children. When my baby was born, I stayed home for almost three years. If I had a second child, it would only be fair to do the same for him or her. I'm also not ready to become a full-time housewife and to pin all my hopes on my kids. It's not fair to them. So everything considered, I don't think having a second child is a viable option for me. This week on the show, we're going to dive deep into this crisis. Why is a shrinking population a problem for China? How did the one-child policy contribute to it? And why are so many people refusing to have kids? My guest is Mei Fong, author of the book, One Child, the story of China's most radical experiment. I'm Tamara Kandaker, and you're listening to Nothing is Foreign. 
Hi, May. Thank you so much for doing this. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, May, let's start with the significance of China's population shrinking for the first time in 60 years. Why is that milestone concerning for China? This is an interesting milestone for China, and it's deeply concerning because of the issue of economic growth for the Chinese Communist Party. Um, China's model has been predicated for a long time in having an abundant um, source of workers. Many young, vibrant workers equals more productivity. And the problem now is that the shrinking population suggests that that is going to make it that much more harder because they're going to have to raise the productivity of every single Mm -hmm. worker that much more. And they will also have a significant proportion of retirees to support. The proportion of workers to retirees, why is that significant? Why is it important that China's economy keep growing, knowing that its population is getting older? Well, an older population uh, that is still alive is one that you have to take care of. So, you know, for example, they'll be drawing on pensions. So if there are fewer workers now paying into pensions, that means there's and a very large proportion of retirees taking on that, you will see a huge amount of pension shortfalls in the trillions. And that's already starting to happen in China. So that's big. That's one aspect. Another aspect of having a very um, imbalanced worker to retiree ratio is you will also have big public health issues, right? Because here's the issue. You have a huge population of elderly people who will have, you know, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's, and so on, all the the diseases that afflict the elderly, but a much, much smaller working age population to support and take care of them in that time. And so that's also very worrying. But this happens in countries as they get richer. Fertility rates go down. People live longer. Like we're seeing this happen in Japan as well, for example. Is there something about China that makes it unique? What's unusual for China is this is happening very, very fast. So there is no time, a very relatively little time to adjust for that in a way that many other countries have had. So the shock of this is going to be that much more. We're talking about this demographic transition that happens in places like Japan, South Korea, lots of parts of Europe too. And it comes down to A, people living longer, and P, people having fewer children. But what's unusual about China is not only people have fewer children, but they were forced for a very long time under the one-child policy to only have one. And most of them, because of the family um, preference for males, which is a long-time issue that predates the one-child policy, many of them chose sons. This worker in a garment factory exhibits his only wealth. Yes, this is a boy. <laughs> I just like a boy. <laughs> a boy. The king of the park and China's symbol of achievement. China's attachment to boys is part of its history. Unlike his sister, this kid will keep his father's name for generations to come and hear it from him. He will marry and stay within the family to take care of his parents. Boys represent social security for the family. So consequently, there's a huge surplus population of uh, bachelors in China. They call them guanggong, bare branches, uh, reproductive ends of the family tree. And to, just to give you a size, that's uh, uh, it's like about 30 million 
So that's not that far from the population of all of Canada, right? So imagine if all of Canada was, you know, filled with single men. Wow. And nothing but single men. Yeah. That that's a that's a boggles the imagination, but that's what happened in China. And then, of course, you remember when I was talking about elderly populations, well, and the need to have more babies. Well, what do you need for all that? You need women. You need women because women take care of older people. You need women because women have babies. And when you don't have that anymore, you have a huge shortage. That makes it that much more harder to get over that demographic uh, problem. So before we get into how the government's been trying to fix this, I want to understand how we got here, because in 1980, the Chinese government introduced a policy to keep population growth under control because it it was thought that it was growing too quickly at the time. And that was, of course, the one child policy. That was the rule that married couples could only have one child. It was in place until 2015, and it was framed as something that was in the interest of the whole country. And so how did we go from that to where we are now, where the population is shrinking? Yeah, it seems like such a huge leap, right? So the you know at the time when China had uh, put in place the one-child policy, they were very, very worried about um, uh, population growth and lack of resources. You know, um, At that time, I think the average family size in China was, was I think, something like four or five kids. No, actually, no, three. The actually was shrinking already, but they were very worried about it. They were just coming out of the cultural revolution. So there were all these you know, big, huge desires to sort of restart and grow the economy. So uh, so this came up, and this was also something that was happening around the world, right? This was at a time when people were worried about things like the population bomb. So it was a very popular and influential source of thinking at that time. But what was unusual about China was they went to the most drastic extremes of this policy with a limitation of the one child per household. And so consequently, because of that, as we said, we had a very imbalanced population now because you tell a a country that has a long-standing cultural preference for boys, you can only have one. Well, everybody will say, well, I'll only need one at one one boy, right? And then, you know, 30, 30 plus years later, 40 years later, this is exactly what's happened. Since then, the government has upped the limit on the number of children you're allowed to have from one to two and then three, and they've been actively trying to get people to have more kids. And can you tell me about some of the ways that they've been doing that? Well, um, some of the ways, I mean, they've been doing that. There's uh, two broadly two spectrums. One is uh, starting to have more financial incentives to do that. Uh, Some tax-free breaks, uh, some uh, more paternity, uh, maternity leave issues. But by and large, a lot of the sort of incentivizing has come from uh, a lot of public campaigns, you know, have more children. There was a even, I think, a communist uh, party circular in a small village. It was um, in a small town, rather, that was a center note to tell everybody they should have more children to do it for the right of their country, which, of course, a lot of people made fun of. <laughs> um, so th- th- there was a lot of that. And I think there was a lot of social pressure that was put on particularly women, uh, educated working women, to have more children, to uh, not to stay single. So that was uh, that came about as the, what they call the leftover 
women campaign. So girl, women who were unmarried after a certain age were classified as leftovers, which sounded very unappetizing and uh, very demeaning. Um, similarly, they didn't apply as much, I think, the same pressure to men um, in that same way. But this just resulted in a very overheated uh, marriage market for a lot of expectations, parental expectations, a lot of expectations on men, a lot of expectations on women. And so it's created a lot of uh, unhappiness and stress and trauma. But it seems like none of these things that the government's been trying, loosening the restrictions or the financial incentives or this campaigning, it doesn't seem like it's really worked or it's had very limited success. And why do you think that is well, in part, um, you know. To be fair to the to the government, <laughs> um, they this is a difficult issue in many places, right? Because educated women have to have fewer children. Because for most part, um, they they you know they it's a lot of work, right? More kids, right? But that's it. China, I think, particularly as uh, many Chinese women complain that there are not enough incentives. Rates. Many couples say it's just too expensive to raise children in cities. If there are better conditions, then we'd have more kids. Nowadays, young people have to buy a house. This amount of pressure is already huge. And then you have to consider the cost of the child's education. China, for all that it's a communist country, so to speak, it has got lots of capitalist uh, elements. So you don't have what you typically think of as a uh, makings of a communist society, which is to say uh, subsidized schooling, subsidized health care, all these issues. Those are actually very capitalistic in China. You don't pay for the good private sc- uh, good schools. So you don't get to a good school. You don't. So there's a lot of that coming into that. So there's not a huge amount of uh, the social the social safety net that's been invested in it. So that's part of the reason why um, there's a very popular saying in China that we will get old before we get rich. You know, there's no safety net. We're all getting older faster. We don't have these rich things that the Western societies have with their wonderful healthcare medical systems and all this that we have. And we haven't had time to set these things up in the same way. And so we're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. So that's that's part of it. So there's lack of that. Uh, but also there's... Um, there's also, a, I think, a strong gender bias still in China that very, very many women point to as a reason why they won't have children. One of the problems of swinging from a one, two, three child policy so abruptly is there's a huge rise in workplace discrimination. So in the past where employees would say, OK, I don't mind hiring women, I'm probably only pay for maternity leave one time. But now it's like, oh, no, I have to pay three times maybe. And so I'm not going to hire a woman, I'm going to hire a man. And so that's happened a lot because in the absence of workplace protections and enforcement for that, there's an outright bias right now. And so it, it the ironic thing is, in a one-child policy, women were punished for their fertility. And now in, the, in, in this three-child policy, women are still being punished for their fertility or, the, or their suspicion that they might have more children. What's beneath the surface of true crime? Uncover brings you there with premium investigations that demand justice. Each season delves into a distinct case, from the inner workings of a cult to the disturbing legacy of residential schools. Promising new content year-round, Uncover will take you on a journey through explosive revelations with hosts dedicated to revealing the truth. Uncover, the best in true crime. Find it on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
a lot of the women who are choosing not to have kids were born under the one-child policy, right? So what kind of impact do you think being born during that time has had on this generation of women and their ideas of marriage and parenting? That's a really good question. And I think what people fail to understand when they ask this, because why is it that all these women are not having children? Why aren't they? I mean, really, the question should be, why would they? Don't forget, they've been subjected, them and their families, for about three decades worth of propaganda that the one-child household was the best. And they themselves, uh, in some way, benefited from that because the single female working of a certain age was the biggest beneficiary for a long time of the one-child policy. They no longer had to share resources with their uh, siblings, particularly their brothers. Parents invested in them. So this is the first upwardly mobile. Many of them you know, went to college. If they had brothers, they probably maybe wouldn't have. So they've, they've had a lifetime of indoctrination into why the one-child policy is the best, why single families are all they've ever known or seen most of. And uh, many of them will tell me, I mean, why, why, why would we want to see any different? And that's, that's just for young urban working women, for the most part, who didn't see the brunt of the policy. Then there's this whole other side of women who had much more painful recollections, um, uh, or for, particularly from their mother's generation with forced abortions, forced sterilizations, painful stories like those. And those are very scarring. You know, we talk about things like post-traumatic stress syndrome. Why wouldn't it be perfectly logical for all these scarring memories to impede it? How can you have such great feelings of joy about family when there's a horrible story maybe of your mother being forced into abortion or your aunt or somebody like that? Yeah. Yeah. So so it seems like culturally there has been a real shift and women aren't as keen to have kids for all the reasons that you talked about. But there's also this financial burden I guess you kind of touched on that with the cost of schooling and childcare and all of that. But can you talk a bit about the financial stress that people in general in China are having and w- what the thought process is when, when it comes to having kids? Well, one of the big financial stresses is, is housing, right? Housing prices are always the big one for any household looking. And you have more children, you need bigger houses, right? Most for the most part, you need a little bit more room or a little bit more apartment space. And, you know, the housing, there's a housing bus right now in China. So that's what this is. So a lot of people have seen their realized wealth go down. And I think the other part of it also is the one-child policy has actually raised a lot of expectations that uh, on the part of the urban communities that your one-child has to be amazing <laughs> that there's a lot of expectation you know um they, they there's a this this is a huge exam culture for example so many parents will spend lots of time they will take time off work um to to help their children prepare for really important exams um i've heard of parents for example even like putting their children on birth control pills to their daughters when they're having exams so that they won't have their periods during exams so that they'll be distracted. Uh, China is very big on exams, you know, and they have a few like the Gaokao, the university, and it's the be all and end all that determines how well they do. So imagine having to do that for two children or three children. There's a huge expectation of that. And, and a lot of people just won't because they want to raise their one child to be the best and brightest. That's certainly how they were raised, maybe quite a lot of them. And so to expect to replicate that two or three times, um, it's quite so the expectations that have been built into child rearing with the one-child policy for a certain subset is, is, is manifest now twice over. <laughs> yeah, the expectations sound so overwhelming. And that actually reminds me of something else that I was reading about, which is this growing list of words or expressions that young Chinese people have been using to talk about 
the pressure that they're under, one of which is lying flat. We often use that term like tumping. I really want to lie, lie, lie down and lie flat. And I don't want to do my job and don't want to achieve something. It's more like、uh, people's attitude, attitudes towards their life. Bai lan is more like the definition of quite quitting. People don't want to commit more to their jobs and they just do what the company required. So this kind of phrase is really commonly used by by me, by my friends, by the younger people in China. Can you tell me a bit about that? Sure.、Um, what has happened is a lot of、um, a lot of Chinese、um, youth have sort of felt like pressure because not only are they expected to do a lot as the singleton children, they are also expected to do it now in an economy that they've never. Most of them have never known for the last thirty years. You've you know double digit economic growth. Now you're starting to see something very different in China. Right? You have、uh, economic growth slowing down. You've had three years of shutdown and a pan- pandemic that's made a lot of people jobless. And so there's a huge amount of pressure that has sort of created this sort of a reflex action, which is to say we're not going to do anything about it. We're just sitting it out. So that it's called tangping, lying flat. You know, sort of like a little bit like in the seventies, where in in America, where there was like a you know go limp against the police. Yeah, they're going limp against society because they they feel like they've um they've been served a bad deal. For Xiaolin, he says he wasn't always like that. After finishing high school, he had high hopes of finding a good job and making a good living. I've thought about it, and I've worked hard before, but felt it was worthless. I couldn't persist. Then I slowly became like this. Why couldn't I keep up? I feel it's because it's tedious and boring. And then it's not so very unusual in the sense from the Gen Z crowd、um, in other places in the world who sort of say, "Well, look at you guys! You you gave us climate change, <laughs> all these awful things." Yeah. But in China, don't forget you have all of them are all only children. <laughs> Most of them, I mean, quite a lot of them are. So that's a the particular element there that that's also unusual. And then there's also the gender element, so quite you know there's the male female imbalance issue. So we also hear some particular terms that are very used that have come up as a result of the gender imbalance from the one-child policy. So for example, for men,、uh, for youth, there's、uh, and there's another variation of the tamping or loser, which is called down. So it's a kind of a semi-vulgar word, but it means loser, and it's mostly used for a lot of.、Um, Men,、uh, boys, males, but then now it's become almost like a the generation has embraced it. Yes, we're losers. We're the loser generation. We own it. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's this kind of thing that has the Communist Party、uh, worried. They 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 said don't use these terms. They're bad. They they obviously don't want a generation that's going around calling themselves losers and and lying flat and not being vibrant, economic,、uh, innovative、uh, <laughs> leaders of tomorrow. So those are all、uh, issues. I think that there's another term that's also called、uh, a Buddhist lifestyle. <laughs> Which is、uh, to say that、uh, they're just going to be, you know, like living like monks, withdrawal,、uh, withdrawing from society. That's also partly because of, I think, huge expectations on the marriage market at some point. Because、uh, when you can imagine, if you only have one child and you want to have grandchildren in the future, there's a huge amount of pressure to have them get married. And so, single women have been known to hire dates, pretend dates, so that when they go back home for Chinese New Year, they go and get plagued to death by relatives asking them when they're going to get married. 
Mm-hmm. But those pressures to get married and have children, it's not just women who are feeling them. Like I was watching this viral video where there were 20 guys at a blind dating event and they were all lined up waiting to scan a QR code so that they could get a date with this one girl. And the competition just seems so intense. And I know it's hard for men to find partners because of the gender imbalance. And so is there a conversation happening in China about loneliness among men? Oh, huge, huge. Loneliness is a big, big issue. Um, and um, it's particularly evident that the hardest hit group by this are men in rural areas uh, because they're the ones that find it hard to attract women. First of all, you, um, you know, women pr- prefer to maybe marry men who live in the cities, right? You know, easy life. That life in the, in the countryside can be pretty hard. So, so they are by far the lowest. And then every cohort that comes around gets bumped into the back of the line. So um, one of the things I discovered when I was writing my book was um, this led to a huge inflation in dowry prices. So um, in China, the, traditionally, the dowry is to given to the woman's side. And um, in, in cases because of the shortage, this led to a lot of scams and runaway brides. So the bride would marry the guy, take the dowry, and run. And so this has led to a whole generation of uh, lo- not only lonely but broke batches because um you know these these are quite expensive diaries their families all go broke borrowing to to get them that hopefully that hope that they can marry and reproduce and have children so that's the that's the flip side of it and the other side that's much much uglier is what is also created is trafficking sex mm-hmm. trafficking in a huge area so very recently I think last year before the Olympics in Beijing the Winter Olympics, there came out this huge story about this woman who was found in chains and in rags living in winter. And it was, she had been forced to have something like eight children, um, and, you know, wow. and kept in captivity. And so that's the ugly flip side that has happened because there's a shortage of women. And uh, when there's shortages, there's always issues with corruption and trafficking. So the um, so particularly this has been felt not uh, not only in China by Chinese women, but their neighboring countries. If what the government has tried so far has had limited success, what do you think could actually help prepare China for this inevitable reality of a shrinking, aging population? Well, um, this population growth has several, you know, ways to, you know, one is if you grow your population organically, which they've been trying to do without much success. The other one is if you import, right? If you have a big, vibrant immigration policy that brings you the, what, what what the U.S. has to, to to some extent, which blunts the uh, the, the the issues of uh, demographic um, uh, population um, low fertility rates. But um, in the case of China, they've always been historically against immigration. Um, so what we see right now is uh, more uh, attempts to try to grow the local population with these adjurations to women. Hopefully there will be more incentives. For example, in Sichuan recently they've announced, for example, that they're dropping uh, barriers for unmarried people to have children. Um, uh, you know, having to pay those heavy fines and things that we spoke of, and that's such a that's such a big drop. In I mean, I don't think it'll make any difference to the actual drop of numbers in terms of serving, but it certainly will help the welfare of people concerned, so that you won't have to face these punitive measures um, on a day to day basis. Um, so that's that. But um, I don't know what the way ahead, and that's that's very scary, right? We we see, for example, in Japan, 
what happens when you have a society that's graying and and much as you want to have people you know be healthy and happy and all it's it's not happy stories you come you know the villages where they they make fake dolls to sit in the, sit in them so that the the, the village doesn't look yeah. so lonely you know, you know these stories like that and you can see that in China a lot because um, I remember a story I had done about this doctor who runs a hospice. I remember what he told me. He said, you know, a nation that doesn't have young people loses creativity, it loses productivity. And, and that's, a, a, that's, a, that's a very depressing, sad picture. Yeah. Okay, May, thank you so much. This was fascinating. I really appreciate it. Okay, well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Our producer is Joyta Shangupta, and our sound designer is Graham McDonald. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. The executive producer of Nothing is Foreign is Nick McKay-Blokos. Special thanks this week to Lou Joe. Nothing is Foreign is a co-production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Our theme music is by Joseph Shabison. And before I let you go, if you liked this episode, please take a second to rate and review us wherever you're listening. It really helps new listeners find the show. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. I'm Tamara Kandacker. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.